0: You know how like you think, oh, man, if only I had this, I would be able to follow God better. Or sometimes you'll talk to people and they're like, man, there's just so much bad stuff that happens to me. It's just hard to follow God when all of this bad stuff is happening to me. Or it's hard to just believe in God when I have all this difficult, just situations in the world and blah, blah, blah. And I love to think of Adam. Who had everything absolutely perfect? Dude had everything perfect. I will not list the details. Perfect. And he had trouble not giving into rebellion and giving into wickedness and falling. Okay? So the state of the world can no longer be an excuse <laughs> for why we might not. Because even Adam had difficulty. We need Jesus that bad. And so just like that's kind of a flip, the writer of Hebrews does this little flip. And it's like, man, Moses was so great. I mean, who in the world would not just be the best faithful God-following person under Moses? Well, let me tell you. Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Moses was really great. But there's something in the number of millions of people that hardened their hearts and they didn't even listen to Moses. So what's cool is throughout Hebrews, there's a bunch of quoting of the Old Testament. But if you go look for the exact quote, like in the ESV or the NIV, it doesn't match. And the reason is because when they translated the NIV and the ESV, they translated from, they tried to get original languages, you know, Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. But the writer of Hebrews is quoting... Sometimes the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And so there's like a double translation in there, so sometimes things get lost because the writer of Hebrews is quoting the Greek translation of a Hebrew writing that somebody translated from Greek into English. Okay? And so it's worth looking up if you've got a study Bible that's got little notes and whatever. It's worth looking up those things. And this is why I said it might be hard to follow along, but you can write it down. So in Hebrews 3.7, he is quoting Psalm 95, verses 7 through 9. Here's Psalm 95. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, right? That's the same part as Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, "...do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they have seen my work." So the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95, but he leaves out Meribah and Massa. So then you got to get your footnote going and say, what in the world is Meribah and Massa? And that's going to take you back to Exodus 17. And we already talked about this. You guys might already know exactly what it is. I'm going to read it anyway. Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin. I'm not going to talk about what happened there. By stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. And they said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? I'm reading it funny like that, because the connotation is: nobody said, Hey, hey Moses, could I have a glass of water? The the way it's worded is, give us water! What's the matter with you? Just whoa, temper, like automatically set off, right? They are quarreling, they're fighting people thirsted Moses said why do you quarrel with me why do you test the lord whoa it's not just that they're asking for water Moses can see in their hearts they are testing the lord but the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said why did you bring us up out of egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst why did you even deliver us from egypt If you're going to bring us out here and we're all going to die of thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord. What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock. And water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Mm. They quarreled. Is God even here? Does God even care? We're all going to die of thirst. Moses' attitude was, Lord, you got to help me. I'm going to die. Like they're, they are going to kill me. And, all right, we'll, we'll take his minute for an aside here. Uh, notice how Moses did it. He got the elders of Israel around so that there would be eyewitnesses to see what happened. God said, I'm going to stand on this rock and you're going to strike it with the staff. And Moses hits this rock and water pours out of it. Enough water for millions of people, okay? So it's like a spring opened up of just flowing, flowing, flowing water. I don't know if you've ever been to, I've been to a spring that was about as big as that candle, and the water came up that high out of the ground, and it was just like a little trickle, and then it would run down, and it was just a spot of rocks that was always wet. I've been to a spring that's about as big as this stage, And the water came out of a hole as big as all of this. And it was like tens of thousands of gallons every hour. Just massive, creating a giant river that you can canoe on. That's what God did when Moses struck that rock. He made this massive spring just come to be as a miracle. Um, It says in another place that that rock somehow... Paul says this, that the rock followed them around in the wilderness so they always had a supply of water. I don't know what that means. I don't... There's some cartoon that had the rock going... And it was really funny, and there was just water spraying out of it like a fire hydrant. Um, If it meant that the, the stream that came out of that rock flowed enough of a river that wherever they went for 40 years... The, the river flowed that way, right? That's a little bit more uh, conceivable explanation. The second time Moses is told to touch the rock. And he's mad at the people and he strikes it. And God says, you will not enter the promised land. Because, as Paul explains, that rock with river of living water flowing out of it was a symbol of Jesus And the first time Jesus comes, he is struck. And the second time, he is touched. Right? He is honored. He is exalted. He is venerated. Okay? So, all of this, even, it's awesome to to know this in the context of the whole Bible. All right, sidetrack off back on the main road. The people grumbled. I should just rub this in some more. They wanted water. They were thirsty. Isn't that just a completely normal, understandable need, right? Especially if you're in the desert, you want water. But they didn't just want water. Along with their thirst came a belief that God wasn't Caring for them became a lie that God wanted them to go out into the wilderness and die. That they were brought out of Egypt and delivered from Egypt for misery and death, and that was that was their belief. And they went with that, and all of a sudden it just turned really against God, and it turned against Moses. I mean, they were they were close enough to get ready to kill Moses. They didn't want to believe in God anymore. They didn't want to believe what Moses had to say anymore. I think that happens to a lot of Christians. That we... And this is the warning that he's giving here in Hebrews 3. Is we're delivered from our sin. We are saved from our slavery. And then we get some other beliefs about God. You know, God... He doesn't want me to steal hubcaps because he wants me to live a righteous life. I think God just doesn't want me to have fun because I like hubcaps and they're cool. Why would he restrict this from me? Maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe God saved me just to control me. And now I don't even get to do fun or enjoyable things, right? That's a lie. God saved you. It says it numerous places. Not because of any great thing you did, but because he delighted in you. He is so happy about you, and he loves to save you. And anything that he's going to restrict you from or keep you away from is because he loves you and cares about you a lot. So, what if you are thirsty? I mean, for real, they're in the desert. There's no water. It's completely understandable. We have things that we need, and God knows that we need those things. And so there is a right way to ask God, Hey, we're in the desert, and there's no water. What are we doing? That's not the right way. Let's look at Abraham. Abraham in Genesis 18. You know the story. These three beings, people, angels, we don't know. These three guys show up to Abraham and they're on their way to Sodom and they're going to destroy the whole city and everybody in it, all the kittens, everything. And Abraham, this is in 1823, Abraham says, will you indeed sweep away the righteous and the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous people in the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? So what is Abraham doing here that's different than the people in the wilderness asking God for water, asking Moses for water? Who is in charge? Abraham is still acknowledging God is in charge. God, you have a plan. You guys have a plan for Sodom, but in your plan, if you found 50 people that were righteous, would you spare the city? Versus, you only brought us out of Egypt to kill us. Where's our water? Who's in charge there? <laughs> we are, and we want our water right now. Dagnabit. Submit to me, God, and give me what I want. That's what they're saying. Abraham is saying, I will submit to your plan, What if your plan included 50 righteous people? Would that change your plan? And you know what happens. Um, Abraham is bold enough with God that he talks him down to 10 people. He goes from wiping out the whole thing to, will you spare the whole city if you can just find 10? And there's some cool stuff about if you count Lot and his wife and his kids and his servants and all that. Abraham is basically making room for just Lot's household. And unfortunately, that didn't even, he, he didn't even get that, right? There's another, if you read the Psalms, I just encourage you guys, if you don't read anything else in the Bible every day, grab a Psalm. If, you, if you've got a normal Bible and you open it up in the middle, you'll probably land on Psalms. Um, You can get the little Gideon Bibles that are just have all the Psalms and Proverbs at the end after the New Testament. It's a great way to learn how to pray is reading Psalms. Psalm 13 is one of these. How do you ask God for water when you are thirsty and you are in the desert? You know, I'm saying this figuratively, right? How do you ask God for something when you need it and you want it and you don't have it? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So this kind of sounds like the people in the wilderness talking to Moses, right? They're getting a little extreme. God, you have forgotten me forever. You are hiding your face from me. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? My enemy is winning, Lord. Consider and answer me, O Lord. My God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So now you can tell there's a little bit of heart coming out. God, answer me because my enemies are winning. Answer our prayer for Qatar. Because people are winning against your church in Qatar. Answer my prayer for my need in Evansville because evil is gaining power. And it's making you look bad. Right? It's not just about me. It's not just about the person praying the psalm. They're saying, God, your enemies are advancing. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So all of that stuff, Lord, you've hidden your face from me. How long will I suffer forever? God, light up my eyes is all written with this foundational knowledge that God will bring salvation. God will save. He will rescue. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Not only do I know God is going to save me from this, but I know also know I'm going to rejoice in it when it happens. And so with that, all of a sudden, I have a believing heart. I'm not rebelling. I don't have a lie in me that says God must hate me to put me through all of this. I don't have a good explanation, but at least I know I have a foundation in trusting God. I have trusted in your steadfast love. Anytime you see that in the English translation, you know it's Hesed, right? I know I can trust in your self-sacrificing, loving, hospitality-showing love, your everlasting love. I have trusted in it. So all of this warning was to explain Hebrews 7, Hebrews 3, 7. As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. God says, I swore in my wrath, they will never enter my rest. Those people did not look to God's salvation. They did not trust in God's salvation. And God, being kind and loving, would not force upon them His his salvation. Doesn't that sound terrible? It is. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is like the warning of the week, and it's the thesis statement for the whole book of Hebrews. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. It is deliberate. It is not a a default dead leaf flowing down a stream. It It is deliberate, and it is concrete, and it is going after your faith going after Jesus himself. Take care brothers lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It is very rare that somebody just says, "You know what? This Christian thing's stupid. I'm done." and they leave. More often it is yeah, that thing was kinda of dumb. And it's just a little drift. That thing was kinda of dumb. I didn't really like that. Oh, those drums were too loud. Oh, that he he didn't mention this thing that I like him to mention. Oh, that that one Christian song was pretty and it's one degree at a time. And all of a sudden, Jesus and his people are doing this and you've had 180 degrees of rumbles, 180 degrees of rebellion, and you're going the wrong way. And you didn't even know it. You didn't even know it because you were just off just by a little tiny bit. My uncle took me out on a sailboat one time on the Pacific Ocean, y'all. And the whole time it's a sailboat. So you can't go in a straight line unless the wind is just perfect. And the wind is hardly ever perfect. So you have to zigzag to where you're going. And he said, you pick a point out in front of you and you just try to always be going towards that point. And you can't go straight at it. But the further away from it you get, the further you're going to have to go this way to keep going. Right. As you zigzag. So I picked a point and he said, what'd you pick? And I said, that buoy out there. He said, no, 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 that buoy is too close. I picked a buoy that was like, you know, 300 feet in front of our boat. He's like, I want you to pick that sea liner that's way, way out there in the mist that you can barely see and aim at that. I was like, whoa, I was in eighth grade. I didn't know anything, but now here we are, you guys, right? If my, what's the warning? An evil, unbelieving heart. If I am focused on this thing that's right in front of me right out here and it doesn't go the way I want and I am mad at God because I didn't get what I wanted, it's easy for me to go off track. If I look at Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith, that's going to be mentioned later in Hebrews, and I look at him coming with his salvation and man, his salvation might not come for a long time in this situation or that situation, in this circumstance or in this culture, but I'm going to continue towards Him. I'm less likely to make those little turns off, right? I heard, I heard a, really, a really good way to explain this um, is in terms of desires, demands, and our rights. And Psalm 37.4 says... Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If I am delighted in the Lord, he will give me my desires. Okay, so let's do a little gymnastics with that. Does that mean, back to the Sears' wish book, if I delight myself in the Lord, I am going to get everything in the Sears' wish book that I ever wanted, and that I drew with my, seriously, my grandma. Would give me the Sears Wish Book and hand me a marker. And I, it wasn't until I got older, it was like, you get one, you get one thing. <laughs> I'd just tear that thing up. I would circle, I, I had to make sure every page had a circle on it in case my grandma opened that up and that was the one page she opened it to and nothing was circled. I might not get anything. That is not what Psalm 37.4 means. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you your desires. He will give you things to want. And I am so much more thankful for that than actually getting everything in the Sears' wish book. Right? I can get riches. I can get junk. I got a whole basement full of stuff I don't need. And it doesn't do me any good. It does not bring me happiness. But when God gives me desires, when God gives me what to want, and then what's really funny is when God gives you what to want, sometimes, most of the time, it's going to be something that you will not ever get until the day of salvation comes. And so he puts in you more, even more a longing and a desire and a drive. And as you go after that, you're delighted in him. It's a circular thing. It's crazy. You delight yourself in the Lord. He gives you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart become Him. And you get Him and you're delighted in Him. And what does He do? He gives you the desires of your heart. But sometimes a desire turns into a demand. I want water. And the demand is just a little bit different. Because demands have ultimatums. I need this or else. Give me what's... And they come with judgments. What's the matter with you that I don't have this? Yikes. Because there's a lie in there, right? If we had that believing, that tender believing heart, God loves me so much. God cares about me so dearly. He is so close to me and so loving This thing that I desire, I know he's either going to give it to me or he's bringing me deeper into salvation by not giving it to me. Wow. But when I turn it into a demand, I let a little lie come in. God, are you mad at me because of this? Because I'm not getting what I want. And I might even say I'm not getting what I need because by golly, did those people need water in the wilderness, in the desert? Yes, they did. But what an opportunity it would have been for somebody to go sit down with Moses and say, so Moses, you like turned the whole Nile River into blood. You parted the Red Sea. You, God killed the firstborn of all of Egypt. We're in the desert and there's no water. How are we going to live? What is God going to do? Can, can you just imagine how that would have played out? So God gets the elders and they all go before God and they say, God, thank you so much for rescuing us from Egypt. Thank you so much for delivering us from, from the hand of slavery and bringing us into this beautiful land and providing for us so many needs. But we're all really thirsty. What are you going to do for our water? What, how, how will this work? Wouldn't that be... I mean, the whole book of Numbers would be like one chapter, I think. What if we did that? God, I'm not getting this. I demand it. Well, the next level of this is our rights. And this... I'm going to give you a stupid example because that will keep me safe. And then you can blow this up into other examples, Right? This happens at our house. I open the fridge and a bag of mustard greens falls out. I am mad because I have a right to open my fridge and not have mustard greens fall out. What? That's the stupidest thing you ever heard, right? I could be thankful that my refrigerator is so full of mustard greens. So a desire might start. A desire. I I would really like to have food in our fridge. Just the right amount. A demand. I demand that we have food in our fridge and it's just the exact right amount. Do it. Rights. I should not have to deal with greens falling out of the fridge. Right? Now what happened? Now all of a sudden I exalted myself above God who is providing food for us in such abundance that we would have a bag of collard greens in our fridge. I'm exalting myself over Him. Gosh, I have a right. I was. Lloyd Expressway, right? Need I say more. Driving along, and there's that dude driving 20 on the Lloyd Expressway. Oh I have a right to be able to drive 70 on the Lloyd Expressway whenever I want. Why is this guy in my way? I bring all these up because this is how subtle this stuff is, you guys. It's usually something that makes us mad. It usually shows up in anger. Um, it can show up in other ways. But we've got see to it that none of you has a sinful or unbelieving heart. The reality is I can show a little bit of compassion. Oh my gosh, what's the matter with this guy that he's driving 20? Well, his car is falling apart. I can have compassion on the dude that has a car that can't go over 20, right? I could have compassion. No, I could have thanksgiving. That God has provided so much food for us that we've got a bag of collard greens that were grown five blocks from our house. I can give thanks that my wife took the time to cut all that up and prepare it and put it in a Ziploc bag to get ready to cook it into something yummy. That's the believing heart. the The not hard. The thankful. Looking at the Lord. The Lord is king. But if I demand my rights, all of a sudden I'm making myself king. Like I deserve to have everything be perfect just the way it is. This comes out the worst at fast food restaurants. You order your thing and you think I'm paying $7 for this cheeseburger. I have a right for it to be perfect. And if it isn't, you have violated my right. We don't say that. We make fun of people violating their rights and snowflakes and blah, blah, blah and all that but we are right there in the middle of it getting mad when there's mustard on our cheeseburger and we said no mustard. The whole hamburger is ruined. Seven bucks. Wasted. Because I have a right. Mm. No. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What if the reality of that was whenever we have one of those moments, we saw, oh my gosh, this is a chance for me to begin the process of completely falling away from Jesus. I don't want that. I don't want, a, I don't want, a sec- I don't want to spend a second of my life in that state. And so all of a sudden, I want to believe. Verse 13, exhort one another every day. As long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I can be deceived. I can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But every day, praise God, I have people around me. Sometimes they're my own fit. Most of the time they're my own family have people around you every day to exhort one another to not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Remember, we're going to talk about this every week through the whole book of Hebrews. Hebrews is all about holding on. Just, I am not going to let go of following Jesus. I am going to follow him. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to figure out how to live for him. I'm going to be driven towards him. Hold our original confidence. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts into rebellion. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? It was all of those who left Egypt, led by Moses. There were only two guys that were spared. There were only two faithful Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else. With whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient, even Moses? So we talk about how awesome angels are, and Jesus is better. And we talk about how awesome Moses is, But we talk about how people still had trouble following God, even under how awesome Moses was. And Moses was awesome, but Moses didn't make it. By whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those, to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. We are setting the stage of how awesome Jesus is and the irrevocable life we have in him as we seek after him and we grow in him. So as you give thanks this week, give thanks for Jesus. Give thanks for how great he is, the wonderful things he has done, because he gave the law to the people, but that did not. That was to bring them to faith in him, to trust in him. And the, the law was weak. It couldn't do that. And so he came and he lived that law. Do you realize what he gave up? He gave up all of his rights. He had no demands. And his desire was to only do what God told him to do. And so He lived a perfect life and has permanently sealed us with His Holy Spirit so that we can live that life too. Let's pray. Lord, You are so awesome because we, we are born with a sinful, unbelieving heart. And it is by Your grace and mercy that we are born again with a new heart of flesh that believes you and trusts you and can live for you and by you. I pray that you would help us to do that this week, Lord, that we would exhort each other every day to believe in you and to trust you, to trust in your everlasting love that you have for us, and to watch you give us everything we need, even our desires. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. Amen.